Hey y'all, and welcome back to the Old Iron Talk podcast. I'm your host, Callie Gurton, and today we have special guest Brian Baxter from Classic Tractor Fever. Let's crack a beer and get to chatting. Well, Brian, we'd like to thank you for joining us here today. We've got a few questions for you. We're kind of going to keep this light and just kind of discuss what you've been up to lately. Started with Classic Tractor Fever. So first off here, would you mind giving us a background on kind of where you grew up? Were you in a farming community? Did you grow up on a farm? What's kind of your background? Hey, Kelly, thanks for thanks for having me on the program. Um, yeah, I grew up actually in uh, the Chicago area. I grew up in a western suburb of Chicago, not too far from O'Hare Airport. And actually, my dad worked for Sears, worked in the Sears Tower downtown Chicago back in the day up on the 41st floor. So he wasn't even halfway up in the world's tallest building. But uh, so my my growing up years were in a suburban area. Um, but my mom and dad both grew up on farms in Indiana. And so when I was growing up, um, my dad's father was already out of agriculture. He was older and had been a, a kind of a, a foreman for different farms around Southern Indiana back in the day. And then my mom, uh, she had grown up on a farm near Fort Wayne, Indiana, in uh, Kendallville, up in Noble County, um, and they had corn and soybeans, and they raised sheep. Sheep was actually a big part of the income on the farm there in Kendallville, and that was part of the family when I was growing up, and so we would go to Easter weekends, we would go in the summers, uh, and that was a big deal for us to go from the Chicago area and spend, you know, a weekend or a week on the farm visiting with my aunt and uncle and my uncle was still farming at that time. And, um, you know, they uh, had not actually upgraded the equipment in those days. And so um, they were still farming with the, the tractors that uh, my grandfather had had. And uh, so that was just a, a, a super experience to be a part of agriculture in that way. Um, you know, growing up in the city, but then having those visits on the weekend with family and out, you know, in the cornfields and all the rest. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. What kind of equipment did they use on the farm? Were they farm all? What were they into? Olivers? What did uh, they have? <laughs> you know, my um, my grandfather, the first tractor he had, I think, was a, a used Oliver in the 1930s. And I, I never saw that tractor. I only ever heard stories about it. He, um, he actually was born in the 1880s. Um, so he was a, a lot older when I came along. Um, and farmed with horses and mules for years and years and years. In fact, he left the farm in Indiana for a time, uh, his family farm, when he was 20 years old. This was in 1906, and he went to California, and it was right after the, the earthquake in San Francisco, the big earthquake in San Francisco. And he got a job first picking up bricks after the earthquake when that city had been destroyed. And then he went to work on the Stanford farm, and we have old letters of his from when he was working on the Stanford farm at Stanford University uh, and running teams of horses and you know harvesting wheat and all of those kinds of things. But he came back to Indiana and started his own farm, built a big barn in 1920 from uh, timber that was sawed and uh, hauled in from on their property. And then uh, again, had the Oliver tractor in the 1930s. And then uh, much later, 1949, a tractor I knew was their 49 Farmall M, uh, and that was on the farm when I was growing up, and that was a big deal. 
they thought about buying a brand new H and then the more they looked at it, they wanted the additional power, the additional size, and they went ahead and bought a brand new Farmall M. Uh, and by that time, my uncle was old enough that he was farming alongside my grandfather. And then a couple of years later, they bought a 52 uh, Ford 8N um, and they bought that one used probably about 25 or 30 miles from home. And by that time, my mom was old enough. She was 15 or 16. And uh, it was a big deal for her because her dad said, well, you just drive this tractor all the way home. So she was the first one to drive that Ford 8N from wherever they bought it back home to the farm. And, and those, so those were the two tractors that I knew growing up was the Ford 8N and the Farmall M. And we would, you know, of course, crawl all over them and then later learn to drive with those tractors. I was going to say, I believe I read you farmed at one point with the M and a corn picker. Is that right? <laughs> at your farm? Yeah, um, that's maybe a stretch. Um, <laughs> we would, uh, they, they had a tractor mounted corn picker for the Farmall M and they used that right on up to the, the 70s. Uh, they weren't really able to expand and, and buy land uh, and get bigger. Uh, and my uncle actually worked for for Kraft, and so he had a full time off the farm job, and then farming kind of became part time. But uh, so he stuck with the old equipment then on into the '70s and even into the early '80s. Um, and so he had a Farmall M with a tractor mounted corn picker. I think it was a four row. We would ride in the wagon behind and have that ear corn come flying at us, you know. Um, and then it got to the point where I was 15 or 16 and, and got to get behind the wheel of the M and, and take a few turns through the field, picking that ear corn, uh, just the way they had done it for, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. Well, maybe not 40 years, but more than 20 years at that point. Uh, and certainly at that time in the middle 1970s, there was uh, better uh, combining technology, corn picking technology and shelling and all of that kind of thing. But they would pick that ear corn, put it in the corn crib and then haul it to town to, to have it, uh, uh, you know, ground. Well, that is an awesome background. I'm glad that you're able to share that with us. And that's cool that you have that history behind your family to share with people as well. Now, in hands with that, how did you get into the broadcasting world? Well, when I went to college, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. But uh, pretty quickly, I started doing some radio disc jockey work at college at Indiana University. And then then decided I really liked television. And so I started doing television production work and uh, those kinds of things and uh, got a degree in radio and TV from Indiana. And then when I got out of college, I started working at a public TV station. And while I was working there, um, a program, a brand new program called Ag Day, which is still on RFD TV today and also syndicated around the country, a daily farm news program that came into the facility where I was working. And within about a year, I was hired as a reporter and a writer for Ag Day uh, and did that for a couple of years. And then we started another program, uh, sort of in competition, called the Morning Ag Report. And uh, same thing. It was a half hour daily news, uh, agricultural news, markets, weather, feature stories on agriculture. And so I spent about nine years as a TV farm broadcaster, traveling around the country, going to the you know, the commodity classic, what was called the corn classic back then, going to the National Cattlemen's uh, Association convention and just covering all kinds of stories in agriculture, both here in the U.S. and then even in the, in the 1980s, we went to, to China and uh, saw the market opportunity for U.S. grain to be exported to China. We did a trip there 
back when I was about 25 and, and China was really kind of the wild west or the wild east back then and, and pretty primitive, um, but uh, have been really all over the world, been to Egypt and Turkey and uh, South America and those kinds of things covering agriculture, uh, you know, both in the U.S. and around the world. That's awesome. Now with Classic Tractor Fever, that started what, in 1997, I believe? 1997, Classic Tractor Fever was really the, the actually the name I have to give credit uh, came from John Harvey. John has uh, passed away just a few years ago now, but uh, he started something called the Classic Farm Tractors Calendar. And he was working for DuPont Agricultural Products and they had a new soybean herbicide coming out called Classic. And the marketing people came to John and said, hey, we wanna promote this soybean herbicide. This was probably in 1988 or 89. And, uh, and they said, we really think classic cars are really cool. And maybe we can use classic cars as a way to market this soybean herbicide. Maybe we'll do a calendar, that kind of thing. And John talked to some friends and kind of thought it over. And he said, you know, classic farm tractors are becoming a big deal. And they were already a big deal, but they were really kind of uh, that interest in that hobby was growing in the 1980s. And so John uh, tweaked that idea and made the classic farm tractors calendar instead of a classic uh, car calendar. And they used that uh, starting in 1990. It was actually launched at the Farm Progress Show in September of 89. And then, you know, it was the 1990 calendar. And that was the first time they featured 12 different tractors. Um, and at that time, they actually filmed uh, with not TV production, but with film stories on each of those tractors. So they had a VHS tape that went along with that calendar. Uh, so that was really the start of kind of John's involvement with classic farm tractors. Later on, he left DuPont. Uh, the herbicide actually doesn't exist anymore. It went by the wayside. But classic farm tractors, that classic farm tractor calendar kept on going. And John did it for more than 25 years. Um, and so I knew John uh, from having covered agriculture around the country. And as soon as I kind of heard about it, I, I always liked tractors. And I said, hey, John, if you ever want us to get involved, you, you know, you let us know and we'd be glad to, to help. And so in 1997, he finally took me up on that offer. And we started a program called Classic Tractor Fever. And John and I worked on a logo together and kind of a concept for what the show would be like. And so, yeah, in uh, February of 97, we launched Classic Tractor Fever, the TV show. Okay. And what was like the first episode? Do you remember? Yeah. Um, at that time, we had a, a farm broadcaster named Ray Wilkinson from North Carolina. Ray has also passed on since then, but uh, he was an older guy and he would talk with his hands. And if you said, are you going to talk about Johnny Poppers, you know, John Deere tractors, he would do this kind of stuff. Um, but anyway, we hired Ray to host those first episodes. And the very first episode was one called Let's Go to a Tractor Show. And we had to have that on the air, uh, I believe, in March of that year, 97. And so we were trying to figure out, well, how do we go out and shoot tractor stories? It's the middle of winter. So um, what we figured out was that we could go to the Florida Flywheeler Show and go down to Florida. That was our first trip to the Florida Flywheeler Show in uh, Lake Mead, or I'm sorry, Fort Mead, Florida. And uh, so we gathered up a bunch of stories, uh, including 
One of our first stories was not about a tractor, but it was about a bus that a tractor collector had painted green and cut so that he could haul a tractor on the back of it and made it into kind of an RV. So it was looked for all the world like a John Deere bus. And that was one of our first stories. And then also at that show, we gathered a, a story about uh, actually a tractor wedding. Uh, an older couple um, had uh, gotten married. He was an Alice Chalmers collector. She was a John Deere collector. So it was kind of a mixed marriage. Um, she rode in on a John Deere. He rode in on an Alice. As part of the vows, he had to promise to take care of her John Deere tractors. Uh, and so it was just a really neat experience to go to the Florida Flywheelers for that first time way back in 1997. And since then, that we've been back to that show several times and it's grown uh, exponentially. You see a lot of unusual things at tractor shows, no doubt about it. But you might be surprised to find that romance can also be on the agenda. At least it was when we visited the Florida Flywheelers and captured the unique story of Barbara and Jack. Cranking up a vintage Alice Chalmers tractor was probably tougher than getting these two lovebirds together. But hold on. Some might say this happy couple has something to fight about. She's fond of John Deere's, drives her late husband's bright, shiny 1930 GP in parades, and Jack, well, he's a major league Alice Chalmers collector. My oldest one is uh, 612 Alice Chalmers in 1918 or 1919. We don't know for sure. And then they range right on up into the Deutz Alice, which is uh, in the 90s. And I have almost one of each model. Even though they don't agree on which tractor nameplate is best, it hasn't slowed down their courtship. This is a match made at a tractor show. Well, we were at uh, Zelfville Springs at a show, and I was going to get a T-shirt made. And what the T-shirt was going to say is, uh, wanted a, a lady with AC tractor, uh, please send picture of tractor. So I got a picture of a John Deere tractor and got introduced to, to Barbara. In fact, the president of our club was the one that was trying, he was trying to get us together. And when he would call me about business, uh, he would say, have you heard from Jack yet? And I said, no. And he'd get off the phone with me and call uh, Byron, Illinois and say, Jack, why don't you call Barbara? <laughs> Caller, he finally did. And today they're together, ready for one of the most unusual weddings you will ever see. We're getting married. Yeah, we're, we're going to be getting married, and uh, I have met myself a very nice gal that loves to collect tractors also. The only problem that we're having so far is she has John Deere's and I have Alice Chalmers, but, uh, but we'll work that out. I'm wearing a, a square dance skirt that I made, and it's uh, denim with white lace and, and some burgundy. No, it's not green. Although, although Jack doesn't know it, but I'll, I'll tell it here. I, I do have uh, two John Deere buttons that I've sewed on the front of the dress. <laughs> I have to get back at it. <laughs> the dueling tractor theme carries through everything, from the invitations. We were looking for something a little different, and we knew we wanted to put tractors uh, on the invitation. To the wedding cake, their hats, even the chairs, the tractor cross sweethearts relax on before the big day. A friend of mine up north, he makes them. And so I, uh, and then when I met Barbara, then I had one made for her, for, for the John Deere. Thanks, John Deere. So I know. 
So we got to have our respective track, uh, seats when we go to the show. So. With the wedding party's tractor all primed, the big day arrived. First, they kicked up their heels with the pre-wedding square dance. I want to be a cowgirl's sweetheart. And then the big moment. The crowd assembled. The groom rode in on his beloved Alice Chalmers and nervously awaiting his bride. But no worry. She loves him dearly. Well, I think the greatest thing is going to be our vows, of course. But probably the most enjoyable thing is going to see the grandchildren coming in. And they kind of make the whole show, really. And then uh, I guess really the heckling I'm going to take from all our friends, uh, especially they're going to heckle me about being associated with a person that has a John Deere. So. But it's going to be delightful, I think. And then those all-important vows. You know, to have and to hold from this day forward. Usually it's either two people that own John Deere get together or two Alice Chalmers people or international or whatever they happen to be. So, so this is going to be just a little bit different. He's going to drag my John Deere with him <laughs> wherever we go. By the authority vested in me under the laws of the state of Florida, I now pronounce you as a Then pretty quickly we started doing stories about, you know, tractors dad had and fathers and sons and, you know, collecting together or collecting the tractor that was part of the family history, those kinds of things. That's awesome. Okay, I read about the Alaska Plow Day. Did you go to that? I did. Um, uh, yeah, that was another one that John Harvey uh, came up with that idea. He had heard about this Plow Day that they did. There was a, a tractor club in Anchorage, Alaska, and they each year they would do a big parade through Anchorage. And then in the spring, in May, they would do... Uh, a plow day out of the place called Palmer, Alaska, just not too far from Anchorage, probably about an hour away. And there were some fields there and there were mountains all around. And uh, we went there and visited with uh, collectors from around that area. I think we had about a hundred tractors in the field, unbelievably, in Alaska, uh, classic tractors, but a big John Deere was the one that was really the standout. And that's one of the ones we featured in the video we did from there. Alaska. The name alone brings to mind a wintry wilderness of ancient glaciers and massive mountains. And although the largest state in our nation is known as the last frontier, it might also be called the land of the unexpected. I'm Jim Fenton from Anchorage, Alaska, and I'm ready to go plowing. Yep, who would think to find a classic John Deere 830 working a farm field just 40 miles or so northeast of Anchorage. Jim Fenton spent his working life driving big trucks through some of Alaska's most stunning scenery. But now it's this big old tractor that's his pride and joy. I was raised on a little dairy farm in northwest Washington. and After I got tired of going to the end of 40 acres and that was all the farther you could go, I started driving truck and then after about 40 years of that I decided well I better give me a tractor. 
I think it's a fulfillment that, uh, you know, he came from a farm. So after he left there, he always wanted to have another tractor, and now he has it. Jim's not the only one who loves John Deere farm power. His wife, Ruthie, is now president of the Antique Power Club of Alaska and a big fan of Big Green. Uh, my husband has a John Deere 830, but that's my tractor. <laughs> I'm real proud of it. I get a lot of uh, comments when we drive it down the street. Do you like to see the inside, too? Sure. Check out that interior. And you've got to see the engine, too. Though it's clear Jim and Ruthie both love all things John Deere, their dachshund Rachel isn't so sure. Doggone, thought everybody in this family liked John Deere. Well anyway, let's take a closer look at this 830 built in Waterloo, Iowa and sold new in 1960, the year after Alaska became a state. Well, it was the biggest two-cylinder they made and it was the last of the series. And after that tractor, then they come out with a 4010s and the 10 series six-cylinder engines. And it's just a nice tractor. Well, the good thing about them, I mean, they didn't burn very much fuel. I mean, they've done a lot of work for the amount of fuel they burned. This tractor's got fluid in the tires, and it weighs at least 12,500 pounds. Well, I like it because it's a standard tread tractor. It rides better got good sized fenders on it so the dirt isn't blowing on you. And I guess the sound has a lot to do with how you like it. I mean, it just sounds good. The last of John Deere's long line of two-cylinder tractors, the 830 was equipped with a wide front end, power steering, a sturdy diesel engine, and nearly 70 horsepower at the drawbar. Yeah, it feels, it pulls good. I mean, it don't die off on a hard pull, it just keeps pulling. Maybe a little smoke starts coming. It's good. I mean, it took them a long time after they quit building two cylinders to get the fuel economy back and what they're using today. I've got a block heater on this thing, but just in case I want to run it someday when I'm stupid and really cold, but it, it, it starts good. Anyhow, it just takes a little while to warm it up, so with the starting engine, but it gets warm. Jim's 830 has been featured on the cover of Green Magazine. He bought the tractor in Washington State and got the triple seven six bottom John Deere plow from a farmer in Nebraska. I had an ad in the Green Magazine wanting to plow and he called and we talked. And When he hung up, I heard him, or just before he hung up, I heard him talking to his wife and he says, I thought I was calling Arkansas and he says, Phone bill will probably be more than, I, more than I get for the plow. The moldboards had black paint on them, and when I started off in second gear, making the first pass, I was wondering what I bought, because I wouldn't hardly pull it. The paint on the muffler started burning, and finally I got the paint wore off, and then it pulled it pretty easy after that. But I, I didn't know if I'd bought too much plow or not. No, it's not too much plow for the burly 830, at least not in the soils of Alaska's Matanuska Valley. And for Jim Fenton, a chance to plow with a farm tractor that's now more than 45 years old is a chance to relive farm life from days gone by. You can see that you've done something. And it's just the old fashioned way of farming, but that's the thing of the past nowadays. Uh, but yeah, that was uh, an amazing experience to look at the mountains of Alaska and to, to think about, you know, 
uh, you wouldn't think in May that Alaska would be a place you'd want to be, especially, you know, plowing in a field. Uh, but it was a beautiful day. There were mosquitoes out. You had to kind of dodge mosquitoes and that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, it was it was a great experience. I bet. I would, yeah, that would be amazing to just go to Alaska in general. But for that, that would be so much fun. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick commercial break here. When we come back, we'll talk with Brian more about his journey and where Classic Tractor Fever is headed. Hey, all of us at Classic Tractor Fever would like to take a minute to thank all of our viewers and subscribers. We've reached a big milestone, 100,000 YouTube subscribers and growing. If you're not a subscriber yet, be sure to hit that subscribe button so you can keep the Classic Tractor stories rolling. Thanks again for catching Classic Tractor Fever. Okay, and we're back. Brian, I've got another question for you here, kind of tying into what we were talking about with the Alaskan Plow Day. Do you have a top story from over the years since you've been doing this? Well, it's pretty hard to narrow it down to one because <laughs> we've done, you know, usually we have uh, anywhere from four to six stories in a show and we've done uh, 25 years worth of shows. Um, and so that's, you know, a few hundred tractor stories that we've done over the years. Um, we have um, often had uh, guys tearing up talking about the tractors that they've restored the tractor that their their dad had and, and they found it it came back home so they're just uh, amazing stories out there but the one that stands out really for me um, is going to big sandy montana and visiting with randy and robert williams and taking a look at what was the guinness book of world's record world's largest tractor the big bud 747 uh, which is uh, just a huge tractor. Um, you look at a big bud that's smaller, like a 450 or a, a big bud 550, and you think, well, that's big, but I've seen big tractors. And uh, and that's kind of what I thought. I'd seen a couple of those tractors. I'd stood next to them, uh, those kinds of things. But we went to Big Sandy, Montana, and got out there with that big bud 747. And uh, it was it's so amazing. I mean, the wheels are 16 feet uh, you know, they're just so huge. Um, I, I rode along as they kind of chisel plowed in a field and we videotaped that um, and stepping outside the cab to shoot them in the cab. It was like you were on a patio. I mean, you could have set up a couple of lawn chairs just in the, in the deck that was beside the cab and then inside the cab and, uh, you know, uh, the space that they had, how big that tractor is. Um, I, I remember, I think it was Randy was looking at the tractor and I said, what do you think about it now that you bought this, you brought it home and they were using it. I mean, they weren't just, it wasn't just a collection. They were using it in the field. It would plow an acre a minute. Um, and he, I said, what do you think of this, Randy? And he, he looked back and he went right now. I think it's pretty awesome. Just thinking about it. I don't think we have a building we can put it in. Um, you know, so it's just working this huge acreage out in Montana and really uh, an effective tool for them. I mean, they bought it. Um, this was 19. No, I'm sorry. This was 1999. It was built in uh, 77, I think it was. So it was only 20 plus years old at that time. And for them, with all the wheat acreage that they had, all the plowing and the ground preparation they needed to do, the Big Bud 747 uh, was actually a, a pretty smart choice for their farm. 
So, and on that trip, in addition to talking with Randy and Robert, who still own the tractor, it's back home now with new tires on it. But uh, we also got to visit with Ron Harmon uh, at Big Butt Equipment in Haver, Montana, and just stopped by and talked to Ron. And he just talked through the whole process of building that Big Butt tractor, the kind of inch and a half or two inch thick sheet metal that it was built from. Um, the statistics on it are are just amazing. I've got the, we did a DVD out of that. And so it's a 16 cylinder Detroit diesel engine in that tractor. It's 900 plus horsepower. It's the biggest fuel injectors ever made. The whole tractor weighs 130,000 pounds. It's got a 1000 gallon fuel tank, a thousand gallons of fuel, pulls an 80 foot chisel plow and can cover 60 or 70 acres in an hour. Uh, and so, yeah, <laughs> tractor ever built. And, and that was just like a, an amazing story and, and super nice guys, Randy and Robert Williams. I mean, salt of the earth and just had a great day with them. In the big state of Montana is a little town called Big Sandy. And at the foot of the Bears Paw Mountains, just outside Big Sandy, the world's biggest farm tractor has made its home. It was in Guinness's Book of World Records as the largest farm tractor ever built. I, I think it still holds the record. As far as we know, it's the largest tractor, and just because it's so heavy, it weighs 100,000 pounds, and the tires are like eight feet tall and 40 inches wide, and it, it's just extremely large. Brothers and lifelong farming partners, Randy and Robert Williams own this massive machine. It's the Big Bud 747, an awesome farm tractor that stands over 14 feet tall, carries 1,000 gallons of diesel fuel, and with a 16-cylinder turbo engine, delivers more than 900 horsepower. We were looking for uh, something that would go over a lot more ground faster. You know, we've got a real heavy schedule in the spring. Covering ground is one thing this tractor will do. You're looking at an 80-foot wide cultivator that these full-time farmers use to prepare more than 12,000 acres of small grains each spring. You can easily go out there and work between uh, 50 and 60 acres an hour, which is an acre a minute. Uh, it burns, you know, anywhere from three quarters to a gallon per acre of fuel. Where other tractors would struggle, the Big Bud lugs this 80-foot rig up and down the rolling land of the Williams Place with ease. In fact, Randy and Robert have worked more than 800 acres in a single day. On this beautiful day, Robert is the brother who gets to put the world's biggest tractor through its paces. Alright, now that we got it warmed up, we'll just kick her up a gear. It's about an 8 mile an hour gear here. Detroit's rated at 900 horsepower right now. Can be turned up to over a thousand horsepower. Other than its unprecedented power, the brothers like the Big Bud because in spite of its immense size, it's relatively easy to work on. The cab, uh, of course, folds back and the hood folds forward. And the hood you can take off very easily and pull the engine out. Engine's on a skid, so it's all hooked into one component, so you can take it out. For us, uh, the, the, the best feature is the fact that it's all component built. 
it's got a it's got a 16 cylinder Detroit 92 series and those are easy to get parts for and to work on. After they bought it, Randy and Robert worked hard to get the Big Bud back in field condition and looking good as new. Where did this tractor of incredible size get its start? A little farther north in Haver, Montana. Back in 1974, Ron Harmon, who now owns the big equipment company, bought the Big Bud tractor business. Since then, we've built uh, about 500 tractors and they're located pretty much throughout the United States as well as some overseas. You can still find lots of Big Buds around, some for sale right in Haver, and even one parked in a field after a hard day's work. But none as big as the one and only 747 that Ron Harmon and his crew built. The Big Bud that we're looking at, the 16V747 that was built in 1977, uh, was the largest tractor built on the face of the earth and to our knowledge that's still the case today. We know of no other tractor that uh, equals the size of this tractor. Since it was first built, the biggest Big Bud has put in more than 8,000 hours of farm work. The tractor was originally built for the uh, Rossi brothers in Bakersfield, California and it went on a large cotton farm, 10,000 acre cotton farm there. After 11 years in California, the Big Bud spent time working Florida farm ground. Now it's back in Big Sky Country, still earning its keep. We're uh, proud of the fact that it's, uh, it's not just a large tractor, but something that has, has produced and paid its way in its different applications over time. Really, there's no doubt that it, it belongs here in Montana or in big fields somewhere. and. Uh, we're really pretty excited the fact that it came home to Montana. The 747's return hit the newspapers, and the baby Big Bud and its big brother are becoming tourist attractions. Oh, they love it. We've had people, you know, the neighbors just are crazy about it, of course, and we've had uh, people from all over the country and Europe out here looking it over. But when they get here, you know, the first thing they say is, oh, it's, it's a lot bigger than they ever thought it would be, you know. And if you pull up an, another good-sized tractor alongside it, you can really tell that it's quite huge. Check it out. Right in front of the Big Bud is a 400-horse tractor that just happens to be among the biggest cases ever built. But the Big Bud is still more than twice its size. One thing you might notice is the thickness of the metal. Look at how thick, and of course, a lot of the weight of the tractor comes from the metal. Yep, the 1977 Big Bud 747 is simply one awesome tractor that will be working hard for the Williams brothers on into the new millennium. Oh, it's a real workhorse. It's just what a person needs. It needs something simple and big, and it'll work a lot of ground. It's um, definitely going to be part of our life, I think, during our farming and uh, while we're here farming. Yeah, that's incredible. A big bud, yeah, I've never seen one in real life, but that would be an amazing tractor to see, let alone to see in action in the field. That's awesome. Yeah, there's a few of them around the Midwest, but you can, uh, if you get out to Montana, North Dakota, places like that, you can see them. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, we've got one question we kind of ask everybody that we have on here. 
and you being involved with classic tractor fever are a good person to ask. How do you see the younger generation impacting the hobby? Uh, you know, I think it's it's pretty amazing how many young people we see at shows, uh, young people that are just really into it. Um, you know, as we talk to uh, people that watch Classic Tractor Fever on RFD TV or see our stories on YouTube, it's often, um, you know, six and seven year old kids um, that really are into tractors uh, and and then sometimes they grow up and they're still into tractors. They get maybe distracted a little bit with sports sometimes or you know other things in their life. But but we go to tractor shows and we see lots of families, lots of young kids, uh, people, young people who are doing amazing jobs restoring tractors. One of the privileges we've had in the last uh, couple of years is to highlight uh, winners of the Chevron Tractor Restoration Competition. That's uh, the winners are announced uh, at the time of the FFA convention each year in Indianapolis. But we've gone out and talked with the winners of that, uh, or you know, winners and also competitors in that tractor restoration competition. Last summer, we went to uh, San Luis Obispo, California, and visited with Annika Ernstrom, who uh, now calls herself that tractor chick because she started restoring a couple tractors in high school. She's, I think, just barely turning 20 now, but she started her own tractor restoration business out of being a part of that competition. She was the national winner, got a $10,000 uh, prize that she could use for scholarship or other things. She restored an Alice Chalmers WC and won that competition. Brian Holst from Almond Vintage Power is one of the, the uh, judges for that, so he knows well all of those kids and everything that they do to make these tractors come back to life. And these kids, um, they learn so much. Uh, they, they learn not only the mechanics, but they also learn um, you know, skills about how do you source parts? Where do you go to find parts? You know, how many people you have to talk to to, to learn what the, how the tractor worked and what it is you need to rebuild and who can I turn to those kinds and so it's just a great experience. Uh, and I think, you know, we're training up another generation of, of people with classic tractor fever. I agree. Yes. I know a lot of times you hear, I would say a majority of people say that they think it's going to die out with the younger generation, but I definitely agree, especially at shows and events, you see a lot of people interested and involved from all ages. So I think that's a good sign for sure. Okay, one thing that we feature on Old Iron Garage is we, in our database, have broken down the tractors by eras. And I wanted to ask you, Brian, while you were on here, do you have a favorite era of tractors? That's another one that's hard to narrow down because there's something to like from every era. Um, I probably have to say the 1940s, um, you know, when you came out with the, when, uh, Farmall and International Harvester, 1939, they came out with the letter series tractors. So the A, the H, the B, the C, and the Farmall M. Uh, and it's a Farmall M that's probably, you know, the one that's that's most meaningful to me. Uh, my mom used to, you know, even though she was long gone from the farm, she used to talk about that Farmall M and she just had a real affinity and a loyalty to it. And I did as well. And to have have the ability to drive that tractor and be around it. Um, it was great. And so if I had to choose, I'd probably say the 1940s. Um, 
You can make a case for the 50s and the 60s as well, uh, the styling and the power of those tractors. Uh, you know, they obviously they just kept making things better and better as they went along. And, you know, 50s and 60s, you get more into the muscle tractors. And the other neat thing that I like about that era, um, and it was true earlier as well, is you still had um, all those different nameplates. You have the Olivers, you had the Farmalls, you had the John Deere's, you had Minneapolis Moline, Alice Chalmers. You know, we're, we're kind of narrow now with the number of different names that we have. Um, Ford was big in the tractor business in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and before, obviously. But again, we're a little more narrow than we used to be. And to see all those different names in those eras, and uh, it's just uh, it's just fascinating, really, to look at all the different brands and the styles that they would build. It is, yeah. It's crazy to me. You've been to little Nokomis, but even here, the history behind the how many dealers used to be here, there were like four or five different tractor dealers and yeah like you said to look at it now it's a really niche market with how many there actually are left mm, right. so that is crazy okay well a couple more questions here we're getting close on our time but what is ahead for classic tractor fever well uh we have continued to try to be re reinvigorating uh our show um we're always looking for stories uh we um, had our crew out at uh, Rolog, Minnesota last fall. And so we're just now finishing up a, a, a story on the Western Steam Threshers Association. That's going to be on at the um, end of April here in 2023. Um, and what an amazing thing to look. Uh, that was a big Rumley Expo at that show. Uh, and so to look at Rumley Trucks and Kerosene Annie, which came out of a museum in Boise, Idaho, it was in a glass case, didn't run for about 20 years, and the collectors fixed it up and it was plowing at that show. And so that was a big deal. Uh, that's one of our new shows coming up. 2023, we're also going to go out and visit with some more winners or competitors in the Chevron Tractor Restoration Competition. We're heading to Maryland uh, to visit the uh, Tuckahoe Steam Engine Show out on the eastern shore of Maryland and take a look at some steam power there, as well as classic tractors. We'll gather stories and spin those out into different shows. And so, um, you know, 25 years we've been churning out tractor stories, and I don't think we're uh, anywhere close to having told them all. There's plenty of tractors still to chase, plenty of collectors who still have great stories about tractors they found uh, restored or kept original, just lots and lots of neat things to go out and do. Yes, there is for sure. All right, you got to tell us, how does someone know if they have classic tractor fever? <laughs> well, you know, if you can't look your wife in the eye when she asks how many tractors you have, you might have classic tractor fever. That's if a good you built another building, just for your tractors, you might have classic tractor fever. <laughs> so yeah, I like that. there are lots of ways to do that. Yes. <laughs> okay. Can you let everybody know besides airing each week on RFD, where else can they reach classic tractor fever? It's been uh, really interesting to watch. Um, our Facebook page is really active. Uh, there are usually updates every day or two. We share lots of photos. We share videos of tractors plowing in the field. We share information about upcoming shows. We share information about almond vintage power auctions and 
uh, you know, some of the stories that come out of that as well, you know, tractor school at, at Almond Vintage Power and those kinds of things. Uh, and so we have, I think, something like 150,000 followers on Facebook. So if people haven't connected with the Classic Tractor Fever page on Facebook yet, uh, that's something they might think about doing. And then just recently, in the last month or so, we've gone over 100,000 subscribers on YouTube. We share stories on YouTube every week. Um, just kind of a taste of, of different stories that we've collected around the country. And so we have, like I say, about 100,000 plus subscribers on YouTube, still growing, still getting lots of interest and lots of great comments there. And then, of course, uh, RFD TV, we're there each and every Saturday with shows. And we're always trying to uh, highlight different shows around the country, promote them and get out and get more stories so that we can make fresh content. Sometimes that's a little challenging, but uh, we do our best to try to keep it fresh. Well, Brian, we want to thank you for coming on today. It's been great talking with you. And we would like to probably invite you back another time to check back in throughout the 20 and 23 season. We're excited to see where Classic Tractor Fever is going and what you guys have in store. So thanks again for joining us. All right. Thanks for catching Classic Tractor Fever. <laughs> again, we would like to thank Brian for joining us today. And we encourage everyone to go check out ClassicTractorsTV.com. If you have a show or event coming up you would like to promote, contact us for information about ad space during our episodes. We also encourage you to submit your collection photos to info at oldirongarage.com to be featured at the end of our episodes. Old Iron Talk is now streaming everywhere you get your podcast, so don't forget to give us a follow. To connect with other collectors and hobbyists, please visit us at oldirongarage.com. Thanks for listening.